The following is an account of a leprosy case discovered by Stoddard on the island of Molokai. A corner of the blanket was raised cautiously. A breathing object lay beneath. A face, a human face, was turned slowly towards us. A face in which scarcely a trace of anything human remained. The young patient was near death. The skin was dark and was puffed out and blackened. A kind of moss or mold, gummy and glistening, covered it. The muscles of the mouth having contracted, laid bare the grinning teeth. The thickened tongue lay like a fig between them. The child's eyes were open. The eyelids, curled tightly back, exposed the inner surface. And the protruding eyeballs, now shapeless and broken, looked not unlike bursted grapes. These were the people that St. Damien cared for every single day. Stay tuned to listen more to his story. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast Smoking with the Saints. I'm your host Michael, and we are jumping back into our episode, part two, about St. Damien of Molokai, the priest that went to serve the lepers on the Hawaiian island. And picking back up where we left off, we were talking about Damien's early life, how he got to the island of Molokai, and the beautiful service that he was doing for the lepers there. Now, we're going to finish that up and get into some of the, the, the background, the, the interpersonal relationships that he had with his superiors, and how the public world and news covered his... his ministry on the island of Molokai. So there's a interesting quote from the author about Damien and what his life was like, uh, comparing it with a parable from the gospel. So I found it quite poignant. And the quote is, the story of Damien's life is the story of a grain that died in the earth and brought forth a rich harvest. And that very much reminds me of the parable of the mustard seed, which being the smallest seed, it brings forth a large bush. It brings forth a large uh, fruit, and definitely, I believe, Damien did that. He gave his life for the lepers, and it bore fruit in the people that he helped. Um, so, at this time, Damien, he's, he's trying to develop good relationships, or at least attempt to do that, with the civil authorities. So the civil authority had a superintendent who was the Hawaiian political representative there. And at the time, there were a couple that went through, but one in particular that he had a good relationship was Superintendent Meyer. And there was a visit from the princess of Hawaii, Princess Lilio Kalani, and that was in September 1881. So he is trying to, during this time, get support, get aid, get the nuns over to the island of Molokai. And so the princess wanted to come and visit, so he was glad to show her around. And there's a quote uh, which gives a good overview of her visit and, and her reaction to the lepers there. So it goes... Damien and Meyer thought to spare her a visit to the hospital, but she insisted on making it. 
She was not prepared for the sight of the swollen and mutilated faces staring at her from their small mats on the wooden floor. She braced herself and tried to smile at a leper with an empty eye socket and swollen earlobes reaching to his shoulders. When she spoke with a severely deformed and crippled girl, her eyes filled with tears. The Hawaiian press reported in great detail and in lyrical words on the emotional royal visit. Journalists reported that just prior to her departure, the girls' choir, which had prepared for weeks, sang a couple of additional songs and serenades. When they finished, they all looked full of expectation toward the princess for her final words. The princess rose and told the patients how proud she was of the courageous way they dealt with their illness and separation from their loved ones. Then the tears streamed down her cheeks, and she could not speak for four minutes. Finally, she promised that the Kingdom of Hawaii would do all it could to improve the living conditions in the colony. So the lepers and Damien definitely made an impact on the princess, and shortly after, she awarded him the Order of Knight Commander of the Royal Order of Kalakaua, and this was delivered to him by his new superior, Kokman. And so after this and, you know, around this time, uh, the author notes that interest in Damien's work on Molokai and the solidarity with him were not limited to Hawaii. After the reception of his medal, he became more and more known throughout the Anglo-Saxon world from Great Britain, the leading nation at the time, to the United States of America. It was remarkable that the celebrity of the self-sacrificing Catholic missionary grew especially through the Protestant network. Donations from all varieties of religious communities and philanthropic organizations started pouring in. Damien had never sought celebrity, nor had his missionary congregation ever specially publicized his work. It must have seemed strange to Damien's immediate superiors that this should happen precisely to him who was neither their best-formed priest nor the easiest one to get along with. They did not know how to react to his celebrity. It was wonderful for the aura of the Catholic mission, but did the other missionaries not do good work too? Would this go to Damien's head? So we can see the foreshadowing and eventual future conflict that Damien will encounter between him and his superiors as he gains more notoriety and attention from the world with the ministry that he's doing and there's going to be a a, a miscommunication and his superiors are going to see his actions as trying to obtain celebrity status but from his own writings with his brother and other people he did not have that attitude now just a little more context around this time of of the the leprosy issue in the in the in the society there so there was some dissatisfaction that was taking place and there was a particular incident that sparked a actual uprising on the islands so quote from the book one day in october 1881 the warwick the ship that usually transported lepers to molokai could not anchor in kalawa papa due to the heavy weather. The captain ordered 22 patients thrown overboard, forcing them to swim ashore. What possessed him is unknown, but the message conveyed by such an action was clear. 
exiles on Molokai would die sooner rather than later, their lives were of no value. Shocked inhabitants of the colony, including the Belgian priest, dove into the roaring surf, risking their own lives to save the new arrivals. For the most part, it turned out all right, though two unfortunate souls died on the beach, one in the arms of Damien. The scene has been strikingly portrayed in Paul Cox's film, Molokai, the story of Father Damien. So this incident sparked massive unrest on the rest of the islands of Hawaii, and there were some riots, there was some burning down of buildings, it got crazy, so the authorities decided to relax the policy on uh, exiling leprosy victims, and they built a hospital in Honolulu to attempt to tend and treat some of the leprosy victims there. Uh, But going ahead into the book to a particular visit from a famous writer at the time, um, it's, uh, there's, there's some observations that the writer has that gives us more light about who Father Damien was and his work there on the island. So uh, there's a, a good section that the author notes on about Damien not seeking his own publicity. So during his initial years on Molokai, his brother Pemphil had a number of his letters published. That, however, angered the superiors of the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts in Hawaii. They feared that the portrayals of the appalling conditions in the leper colony would reflect negatively on the Hawaiian authorities. The Catholic mission, which still felt like a threatened minority on the islands, did not wish needlessly to offend the local authorities. Nor was Damien keen to obtain the status of a hero. The desire, this is a quote from his letter to Pemphil, The desire not to come across as important in the public press is the reason why I respond so late to your letter and to that of the Superior General last year. He wrote to Pemphil. As a consequence, he played down his work. Quote, Every day my occupations are the same, and I am in a certain sense outside this world. I have nothing interesting to report to you. Now, the famous writer that visited... Damien Amalekai was Charles Warren Stoddard, who was a famous American writer at the time, and he was intrigued by Father Damien and his work there, and there's a, a couple cases that he wrote about on his time there, and we actually read a account at the beginning of the podcast about him uh, viewing the lepers in one particular horrific case of a child who had a late stage of leprosy. But there was the, uh, the first time that he found him when he had landed on the island. The writer uh, writes about how, Now, at the top of a ladder, hammer and nail in hand, or in the garden, or the hospital ward, or the kitchen, or away on a sick call, as the case might be, it was seldom he could sit with me, for not a moment was he really free. So, that was uh, Stoddard talking about how energetic Damien was and how he was he was always doing something he was working he was providing service and care for the lepers so there was never a uh, a dull moment and we can see from the rule of life on the uh, previous podcast about how father Damien kept his day busy he was he was not slothful he was not a slacker and i i think this this captivated stoddard 
because he wrote not, not long after his departure uh, to Father Damien that he envied his um, he envied his peculiar life. So he wrote, "You seem to me to be happy, much happier than those who live in the world." Now back to the conflict between him and his superiors. So he had several superiors over the course of his work there. So there were several superiors that he was uh, subordinate to. And I like the title of the chapter that the author has called Stubborn Obedience. And uh, in writing about what what were the, the tensions that were happening? What, what was the, the conflict itself? So the main thing was that Father Damien, for most of his life on the island, was alone. That at very few times did he have a brother priest that was actively helping him. There were a couple brother priests that were sent there for short periods of time, but there was there was usually some sort of uh, tension there. Which, which caused Damien to experience a, a sense of isolation and loneliness. So um, there was Father Andre Bergman, uh, who was the first brother that was sent to him, and he had relentlessly asked for someone to be sent, especially to act as a confessor for him, because for most of the time, either he would have to travel to Honolulu to hear, uh, to, uh, to receive confession, or he would have to do confession out in the sea uh, when, the, when the boat that delivered another batch of, of exiled lepers came and the, um, his superior or another priest would have to go on that boat and he would have to hear his confession right there. So that is not, that's not a great place to do a, con, a confession. Uh, but Father Damien, um, like I said, insisted on asking for a brother priest, and as the author notes, he was doing nothing more than following the constitution of the congregation. So there's an article in that constitution, Article 420, which reads, the general rule is that no member of the community, whether a priest or a brother, will be sent out or remain on the islands alone. Damien never wanted to be a lonely hero. He wanted a brother by his side. This desire expressed not only fidelity to the rule of the Picpus Fathers, in which he was schooled, but also the gospel's vision of mission. Did Jesus not send his disciples out two by two? Now, Father Andre, when he came, he was, at first, it was he was glad to see him, but there started to be tension developed there because Father Andre was, from the accounts described of his actions there and his time, was more interested in being a medical doctor and providing medical services rather than being a pastoral priest and tending to the spiritual life of the lepers there. So this caused tension with Father Damien, and it was a difficult situation, but Father Damien still tried to maintain good relations with Father Andre. Now, another good point that the author notes is when he was encountering this tension and this this sense of loneliness, 
uh, Father Damien sought and found consolation near the altar and the Blessed Sacrament. In a letter to Pamphil, he wrote, As I was temporarily the only priest on the island of Molokai, I had to take as a confessor our Lord, who remains in the tabernacle. Alas, my dear brother, it is at the foot of the altar that we find the necessary strength in our isolation. There I meet you every day and all the dear fathers of our beloved congregation. Without the blessed sacrament, a situation like mine would be untenable. But with our Lord at my side, I am always joyful and content. Continuing on, the author noted that in the beginning of 1885, Damien contracted leprosy. And he wrote to his brother Pamphil, I can no longer conceal from you that I am too being threatened by a disease that is worse yet than consumption. I have lived almost 12 years among the lepers. Leprosy is a contagious disease. I think I cannot complain about the visible protection that God has given me. The Holy Virgin and St. Joseph also have something to do with it because I am really still as strong and robust as when you saw me depart in 1863, with the exception of my left foot, which has lost all feeling for the past three years. It is deceptive venom that threatens to poison my entire body. Now, Damien, he accepted this disease and invested it with religious meaning. The author notes, It helped him to die to self. To Bishop Kochman, he wrote, the memory of the fact that 25 years ago I lay under a funeral pall on the day of my ordination has allowed me to run the risk in fulfilling my duty, of being infected with that horrible disease and to die to self more and more. As my disease develops, I feel content and happy in Kalawao. So the worst tension between Damien and one of his superiors was between him and Leonor Fusnow. And the author notes that for those who later conducted the investigation into Damien's alleged disobedience, Fusnel's remarks went way too far. Quote, rarely will a subordinate have heard such harsh words, they concluded. It was hard for Damien to bear the attitude of his vice provincial and direct superior. To Cockman, the apostolic vicar, he lodged his complaint. Quote, the absolute refusal expressed more in the tone of a gendarme than of a religious superior, and that in the name of the bishop and the minister, as if the mission was placed under quarantine, gave me, I frankly confess, more pain than I have ever suffered since my childhood. End quote. But Damien would not have been Damien had he not resigned himself to that fate. Quote, I responded with an act of absolute submission because of my vow of obedience. We continue to love one another, end quote. Also in his obedience, Damien was stubborn and persistent. Another good quote uh, from the author on this is, Rather, during moments of anguish, he feared that he himself, Damien, was unworthy of heaven. He reflected a lot about honor and shame, about pride and the true imitation of Christ. Quote, Pray to achieve the spirit of humility so as to desire scorn, end quote. He wrote in his little notebook with personal comments, The crown of thorns and the scorn that Christ suffered before Pilate were kept concretely before his eyes. Quote, 
If one is scorned, may one rejoice in it. Let us not be touched by the praises of men. Let us not be self-satisfied. Let us be grateful to those who cause us pain or treat us with scorn and pray to God for them. Now, there were happy moments that Father Damien had interspersed between these trials and the sickness. And there's one particularly poignant scene on the Feast of Corpus Christi on June 27th, 1886. So there was a, a mass celebration, and Damien writes about afterwards what happened. It was my sermon only that fell short of the general standard. Was too fatigued to enter fully into the deep subject of the feast, and besides, I wished to avoid my habitual fault of preaching too long sermons. Immediately after Mass, without leaving the curé time for breakfast, the procession was formed, the cross and the great banner being in advance. Then came the drum and the musicians with instruments of tin. May some charitable soul supply us with some brass instruments. Then two associations bearing their Hawaiian flag, followed by two lines of Christian women. Then came the men, and after them the singers, always directed by my good blind Petro under a parasol and guided by another native. Then came the incense bearers before the canopy. At each corner of the canopy walked a lantern bearer, each lantern being carried upon a staff and beautifully ornamented with flowers. The portable repository, well decorated, augmented this display. Arriving at the residence of the superintendent, the repository was placed under the veranda, and then I exposed a blessed sacrament. Favored by the prong prolongation of the chant, we had the opportunity to rest ourselves upon the grass after our march. The benediction given, the procession returned to the church by the route it came. After the religious exercises, the Christians were all refreshed by the agape, or meal of fellowship, consisting of poi, which was a native uh, type of vegetable, and a pig weighing 300 pounds. By this, you will see that our blessed Lord granted us at times consolation with our afflictions. Now, another important character in Damien's ministry was Joseph Dutton. And he set foot on the island in July 29th, 1886. So who was he? So he was 43 years old, three years younger than Damien. He was a former Civil War soldier and alcoholic, and he had converted to Catholicism following an adventurous and agonizing past and was searching for a different life. After reading about Damien's life and meeting with the writer Stoddard, his decision was made. On July 20th, 1886, he showed up unannounced at the Board of Health in Honolulu and offered to volunteer at the leprosy colony. Gibson described him as a religious enthusiast. And uh, Gibson at the time was the, the prime minister or, or head of state uh, for the government and the civil authorities. And Dutton, uh, it, I got an interesting connection between him and the Duttons from the TV show Yellowstone in 1883. And I just thought that Dutton, he is, he is the better of the Duttons, right? Because the TV show is, is very graphic and there's the, the, the Duttons do a lot of horrible things to people. And so I just think, especially the, the 1920s 
sequel where it follows the Duttons. Uh, I only watch a tiny bit of it, but just there's one particular Dutton, and I just think, gosh, he is such a such a loser and uh, so selfish. And so I just think, all right, this Dutton, right? This is the good Dutton. This is the son that went to serve people and actually do good. So there you go. Anyways, so back to Joseph Dutton. So he came onto the island and immediately threw himself into the work, helping Damien with caring for the sick, improving structures, caring for the physical and spiritual needs of the lepers. And they got along well, and Damien wrote well of him. Uh, For example, he wrote, He resides here with me, and as a true brother helps me caring for the sick, he too, though not a priest, finds his comfort in the blessed sacrament. You will admire with me the almighty power of grace in favor of my new companion, Damien wrote enthusiastically. Now, just uh, another interesting note about the the politics going on at the time. So June 30th, 1887, there was a revolution that broke out uh, for the government in Hawaii. So Prime Minister Gibson was deposed and imprisoned for a while, but he was released shortly afterwards. And then the king, Kalakaual, was obliged to sign a new constitution, the so-called Bayonet Constitution, which took away practically all of his powers. And it uh, turned out that the new political situation was not so disastrous for the Catholic mission there. And uh, it actually ended up... um, There was an interesting note the author had that the Paris Mother House for the Congregation of the Sacred Heart Fathers uh, said that they talked too little about their missions and about Molokai in particular. And they had a funny quote that, if the Jesuits had a Molokai, the news would never dry up and the alms would keep apace. And uh, I find that hilarious because they're very good at marketing and getting the word out for contributing to missions. Now, it turned out for Damien that the new leadership and the change of government did actually start causing a problem or increase the hardship of him caring for the lepers. So they thought that the previous government had been too lax on implementing the exile policy. And so henceforth, anyone showing signs of leprosy would be banished without exception. Damien experienced this firsthand. Now the government is sending dozens of new lepers each week, and it is expected that shortly our number will double or even triple. Now, there was a arrival of a new helper, uh, another priest, to assist him, and just in time, especially with the influx of new lepers. So, on May 17, 1888, less than a year before Damien's death, Conradi landed at Molokai. The seasoned missionary was prepared for everything, even to die a martyr. Yet the impact of the brutal reality of Molokai was enormous. The newcomer's eyes provided a fresh view of life in the settlement and on Damien's condition. Damien's physical appearance was even more pitiable than Conradi had anticipated. Now, who was Conradi? So he was another priest from Belgium, and his full name was Lambert Louis Conradi. And he lived from 1841 to 1914. And he himself is a, he's got an interesting history. So just a little bit about him. So after he was ordained a priest in Belgium, he eventually was able to go on mission 
in the United States. So he was sent to the Archdiocese of Oregon City in the mountains of the Northwest United States. He followed in the footsteps of the great black robe, the Belgian Jesuit Peter Jan de Smet, who had died the previous year. Archbishop Gross of Oregon entrusted him with the mission on the Umatilla Indian Reservation. Conradi traveled tirelessly through his vast mission field by horse, and he built churches and taught. He was remembered in the area for generations. And after his time on the island of Molokai, he wanted to start a mission in China. And so uh, he gave talks and was trying to get support for the project. Um, and he tirelessly worked for that. And another impressive thing was that he entered the University of Oregon Medical School in Portland at age 55. Thanks to his enormous zest for work, his iron self-discipline, and his unwavering confidence in God, he graduated in April 1900. Now, he was, uh, around this time, there was unrest in China, there was the Boxer Rebellion, and he was trying to raise funds for this mission. And... Uh, there was a note that he had been robbed, part of his collection in San Francisco. Not surprising, it being San Francisco. Nothing's really changed. And uh, But he continued on to China, and in May 1908, he arrived in Canton. On the islands of Shek-Lung, not far from Hong Kong, he bought land and established his leprosy settlement in the face of many difficulties. When on August 24, 1914, he died of pneumonia at age 73, Shek Lung was home to 700 leprosy patients. He was buried wrapped in a braided mat between two lepers. Owing to the outbreak of the First World War in Belgium, his death, as well as his remarkable and fruitful life, remained unremarked and unknown. But we remember him in this podcast, so let his, let his great actions be remembered in this way. Now, another... Just continuing on in the story of Father Damien, in the fall of 1888, Damien felt his physical strength quickly fading, as noted by the author. He had long lived in the presence of finality, but now he felt the hour of death quickly approaching. In his letters, he regularly gave a hint. I feel my disease has gone down to my lungs, and very soon I hope all will be right when the body is under the green coverlet. Likewise, our divine Savior knows what is best for my poor soul. I leave to him the prolongation or shortening of my days. Since I wrote you last, I have made many steps toward our graveyard. But even as his suffering increased, there were moments and consolations that he received. So in addition to Dutton and Conradi, finally, on November 14th, 1888, Mother Marion and two fellow sisters disembarked at Kalau Papa. Their boat also transported 40 lepers. The sisters went at once to their modest cloister that was built for them. Damien came to welcome them. A dream had been fulfilled. So for many years, Damien, in addition to asking for a brother priest and for more help, he had asked for the sisters who were there. They had landed a couple years prior, and they wanted to go, but the superiors uh, wanted them to stay on the main island. They were hesitant to send them to Molokai. 
So eventually, through his relentless efforts, Damien was able to build a cloister and get it set it up for them so that they could finally come and minister with him on the island. So finally, that dream was achieved, and I bet that, that was a, a, a wonderful day for Damien to finally have other um, fellow helpers in his mission. Now, another interesting point that the author brings up is the visit by the famous painter at the time, Clifford. And uh, Clifford's account shows a little bit more about the life on the island and Father Damien. So Clifford, while he painted and drew at one particular day when he was drawing and and painting scenes of the lepers and the island, uh, he noted that lepers continually came to look at the work's progress. The painter was struck by their happiness and obvious ease with the Belgian priest. The ground floor, too, was often alive with conversation and joyful laughter. Of course, there were occasional frights, as when Clifford saw a severely disfigured ten-year-old boy with the face of an old man. But in general, to his own surprise, the lepers filled him with less disgust than he had feared. He had prepared for this, but now he was moved by the cheerfulness and joy of living he experienced on Molokai. The settlement had more than a thousand inhabitants, and Clifford experienced a pleasant busyness. He described how the lepers often walked up and down from Kaluau to Kalupapa, or traveled the two and a half miles by pony while greeting one another and him in a friendly way. He was surprised by the cheerful people, the lovely landscape, and the comparatively painless life. And I think that that image given by Clifford, shows the fruit of Damien's efforts. And if we compare it to the beginning of the of the other episode, part one, we see this island that the inhabitants are just, they're just left there. They're just, they're just thrown there. They don't have any shelters. They have to scramble and scrape what they can. They're, they're just surviving, and it's not, it's not living. It's, it, it's, it's uh, just chaotic uh, death. Um, there's no care for each other, and Damien comes, and he provides light to them, and he provides spiritual and physical aid, and he cares for them, and I think that image of, of the inhabitants cheerfully greeting one another, of there being, you know, laughter when the, the lepers are visiting Damien in his home, and Clifford is experiencing. This is the fruit of his work. This is the fruit of his love for these people. And finally, we must give a close to Damien's life. So the author notes the final days and moments of Damien's life on the island of Molokai, and he wrote that on April 2nd, he received the last sacraments from Conradi's hand. He wrote, quote, How good God is to have allowed me to live long enough to have two priests by my side to assist me in my final moments, and then to know that the good sisters of charity are at the leprosarium. That was my nuke demitis. Now, Lord, let your servant go in peace. The work for the lepers is in good hands. I am no longer needed. Wendelin asked him to leave his mantle to him, as the prophet Elijah had done to Elisha so that he would inherit Damien's great heart for the lepers. Damien wrote, quote, Oh, what would you do with it? It's full of leprosy. Then teary-eyed, Damien blessed his confrere and the sisters. 
Another account of Father Damien in his last days was given that I shall never forget the midnight scene which every night took place from his first being confined to his bed till his death. A little after he heard the clock strike eleven, he would remind me it was time to commence the prayers preparatory for Holy Communion, which he followed with the fervor of a saint that he was. Sinet then accompanied Conradi to get the Blessed Sacrament in the church and to bring it to the dying priest, who received his God with the fervor of a seraph. This solemn and impressive scene was witnessed nightly by two mortals and by myriads of angels until that last midnight. It was truly affecting to witness how attached the people and children were towards him. They besieged his house day and night and could with difficulty be kept from the sick room. And finally, on Monday, April 15th, which was the first day of the Holy Week, Damien knew his hour had come. Quote, the Lord is calling me to celebrate Easter with him. Early in the morning, Conradi sent word to Wendelin that Damien was in his death agony. Damien hurried to Kalawau, but on the way met a messenger who gave him the news that Damien was dead. Now, when they were preparing Damien for burial, the author notes that all the marks of leprosy had disappeared from his face. At 11 o'clock, he was placed on a funeral bier in the church of St. Philomena next door. Many lepers came to pray by his body. The funeral took place the next day, and after the Eucharist, the simple cortege processed to the cemetery, and Damien had taught his people how to see someone off properly. There was the cross-bearer, then the musicians, then the sisters, the woman, and the girls. The coffin followed, carried by eight lepers clad in white. Behind the coffin, Wendelin, Conradi, the acolytes, the brothers with their orphan boys, and all the men followed. Damien was buried, according to his long-expressed wish near his church, on the spot where he had spent his first nights on Molokai, under the shade of his beloved Pandanus tree. And so ends the life of St. Damien of Molokai. But his memory lived on, and his, his canonization efforts commenced. And some interesting notes from that, of how that canonization process went. So, really in the beginning the congregation did not seek to have him be canonized. And uh, there were some, also there were some secular uh, arguments that happened. And actually one interesting note is that Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, uh, defended him against accusations of adultery and libel. And many other people praised his work and his name was used to set up organizations that would fight leprosy. Gandhi praised his work. And so his beatification was stalled until the 1970s due to, once again, like I said, his superiors were not believing that he was a saint, but just that he was a priest who did good works of mercy for the people on Molokai. And so that process began in the 1970s. And one breakthrough in favor of Damien was a Spanish postulator, Angel Lucas, who tirelessly devoted to the case, traveled to Hawaii to conduct additional investigations into Damien's virtues and relations with others. And in 1974, he did a case study. Uh, and this 
found interesting materials about the writings between him and his superiors, and they notably weakened the credibility of the major critics of Damien, so his superiors, Bishop Kochman and Vice Provincial Fusnel. The case study of the sanctity of Father Damien turned out rather to highlight the mediocrity, petty feelings, and jealousy of his immediate superiors. In 1977, Pope Paul VI recognized Damien's heroic virtues and declared him venerable. That was the conclusion of the first phase of the canonization process. It is doubtful whether the process would have had a good outcome without Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She entirely insisted on this with Pope John Paul II. On May 7, 1984, she asked him explicitly for a saint to enable her congregation to continue its work of love and healing. Quote, Father Damien could be that saint, Holy Father. Our lepers and each one throughout the world beg you for this gift, a saint and martyr of charity and a beautiful example of obedience to us religious. So the Congregation for the Causes of Saints took a close look at an old story. Simplicia Hugh was a French Picpus sister who, in 1895, was cured of a life-threatening intestinal illness after the sisters prayed a daily novena to Damien. The required miracle was found. The beatification was scheduled to take place in Brussels on May 10, 1994, Damien's feast day. But shortly before the beatification, the Pope fell and broke his hip, and the ceremony was postponed until June 4, 1995, Pentecost Sunday. Then another event on June 2, 2008, the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints attributed the inexplicable cure of a Hawaiian woman with terminal cancer, Audrey Toguchi, to her devotion to Damien and voted to recommend raising him to sainthood. A month later, on July 3rd, Pope Benedict XVI promulgated the decree officially verifying the miracle needed for canonization. And that is a pretty awesome miracle story. So, in 1997, a small lump formed on Audrey's left hip, which she originally attributed to a fall. When the lump expanded, she consulted Dr. Walter Chang, a renowned Honolulu surgeon. During an operation at the beginning of 1998, a fist-sized lump was removed and examined. It turned out to be high-grade plemophoric lipsosarcoma, an aggressive and rare form of cancer of the fat tissues. In April, May, and June, she received radiation treatments. On September 3, 1998, she was examined. The cancer had spread to both lungs. Perhaps chemotherapy could bring some relief, but not for long. The doctors gave her at most six months to live. Taguchi refused the chemotherapy. Quote, I will turn to Father Damien, she said. He will save me. Then, Dr. Chang, moving forward, Dr. Chang did not know what to think when he looked at x-rays of the patient's lungs on October 2, 1998. The tumors had begun to shrink. Was Audrey receiving chemotherapy somewhere else? Or ongoing, undergoing an, a herbal treatment or acupuncture? She told them that she had gone to Kalapapau and prayed to Father Damien and that family and friends had also been praying. The next monthly examinations on November 2nd and December 2nd revealed further shrinkage. Maybe you should write to the Pope, he said to her. Dr. Chang was not a practicing Catholic, but this was scientifically inexplicable. X-rays on May 14th, 1999 showed the total disappearance of the cancer. 
And so there you have it, how Father Damien became St. Damien of Molokai. Now the author has a great excerpt here at the end to kind of close this out. That is the good news that Jesus of Nazareth brought and that Damien lived in his own circumstances. That is why he is a saint, not in the sense of a perfect person. Not everyone liked him, and sometimes his headstrong character caused him trouble. But what ultimately counts in God's eyes is that, quote, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. This is exactly what Damien did. Setbacks or uncomprehending superiors could not turn him away from his life's task. The good news is that love compensates for many faults. Although today many people, including some Catholics, think it makes no difference whether Damien is declared a saint, it is to the credit of the Roman Catholic Church that she wanted to make such a life albeit after many decades, a universal example. The path to holiness can be walked by everyone, regardless of who one is or when one lives. Amen. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jan de Volder, for this great book. Once again, the book that we have read is The Spirit of Father Damien, The Leper Priest, A Saint for Our Times. So go out, buy this book, because it is awesome. Now, I think to to wrap up and close out some thoughts about Father Damien, St. Damien, is uh, just some, some more lessons we can take away. So I think this last section, I think two things that really characterized that was his obedience, patience, and trust in God, especially when he was being misunderstood or criticized by his superiors who did not try to understand his situation. And he continued on and continued to trust in God and, and carry out the mission, even during these difficult circumstances. And uh, today at Mass, this I'm recording this on a Sunday, and today the gospel was the parable of the sower of the seeds. And I think that ties in directly, much like the parable of the mustard seed, with Father Damien's life and how in the parable it talks about how some of the seed fell on good soil that was prepared and it grew up and it produced a hundredfold fruit. And Father Damien, I think, was that soil that was prepared to receive the the gospel and to then bear that seed and create fruit from it. And that blessed the lepers there. It blessed all those who interacted with him and, and heard him and and now we can ask for his intercession. And so I think, uh, and taken away from that, we can think about how are we uh, bearing fruit? How are we yielding fruits from the gifts that God has given us? So uh, let's ask for the intercession of St. Damien, that he may um, intercede with the Lord to give us the graces that we need to bear good fruit in our life and to be charitable and loving to our neighbor. So, amen. Now, uh, coming over to the tobacco side of the house, I wanted to start it out with a great quote from another comedian. So last week it was an Irish comedian. And now, bringing it back home to the good old United States of America with Greg Rogel. Honestly, not really seen much of his stuff, but he got a quote here uh, that goes, I quit smoking because I want to live. And now that I'm not smoking, I don't want to live anymore. (laughs) All right. Excellent, Greg. <laughs> um, 
can relate, can relate a little bit there. Um, no, not so. I don't know. It's uh, tobacco shouldn't be uh, the end all be all, but it is. Um, it is. It is a a wonderful produce of this uh, of this green earth that God has created. So once again, um, I think just sticking with uh, what we talked about last week of of Latakia, man, um, sticking with tobacco that has been created from that process. And uh, like we were saying last week, recommended pipe tobacco is Mac Baron, uh, Hearth and Home, Latakia Flake. And then for cigars, um, we, can, uh, we can recommend my, my Father the Judge. So uh, this is, uh, this is a, a, a cigar company. They have a couple, they have a couple different cigars in this theme of my father, you know, something, something. And this one has uh, notes of chocolate and pepper. And it, I think once again, kind of matches up with uh, Father Damien's personality that he was, he was intense and that he could be fiery like pepper. Uh, but also he could be kind and loving uh, like chocolate, very, very sweet to others that, that, he, that he loved. So uh, you can get this, you know, Famous Smoke Shop is a good place, and um, I think you can't go wrong with this one. So that's, uh, that's going to be the tobacco for this week. Um, let's see, I mean, what, what else is going on? I, I think uh, at this time, it's, it's beginning of February, so Lent is coming up, and I'm preparing for that. So I'm planning to give up YouTube uh, for entertainment, because that is something that I watch a lot, so it'd be good to give that up and go without it. And I wanted to share news about other saints that have been recently canonized. So one that I found particularly interesting was St. Charles de Foucauld, who was a French saint who lived in the late 19th century into the early 20th century. He was a French priest who went on mission in Algeria. Uh, He lived out there for several years ministering to the people and uh, he was eventually martyred, and uh, his canonization took place in 2022 by Pope Francis. So check out his story, because uh, it is—it's quite the—he was a, a French explorer, and eventually he had a he had a conversion or, or a reversion to Catholicism. So I hope that his story is inspiring to you. Now, uh, once again, folks, appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you'd like, please leave a comment on smokingwiththesaints.com or email smokewithsaints at gmail.com to let me know what you think about the podcast. And once again, got some shout-outs to give today. Got the Hallow app and Exodus 90. Um, Exodus 90 is going on right now. just started in January. So if you are interested as a man to join a aesthetical program to grow in your faith, um, I would recommend that. And then Hallow, awesome prayer app. Uh, rosary use that frequently so uh, folks leave a review on apple Podcasts. join the email newsletter and thank you again for listening appreciate you giving the time we got some show notes with some interesting links and uh, especially links to where you can get that pipe tobacco or cigars and you can check out the website smokingwiththesaints.com thanks again for listening hope you all have a blessed day shalom
Warning, tobacco may have been burnt in the making of this episode.